every one of you. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. Uh, great hello to you guys online. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Well, we've been running through Worship in the Wild the last several weeks, and it has been an awesome journey that we've been uh, working through as a church congregation. We've been working through so many different pieces of how we can engage in worship and how we live our lives of worship. We've learned that worship is not just singing songs. No, it's more than that. There's so many pieces that align, and truly, it becomes a way of life. Now, there are several aspects of worship that can form into a greater piece. And some of these things, we could talk about styles of music, maybe how the uh, 2,000 years of Christian worship has happened. And there's so many other pieces that create this. But a piece that I find can sometimes get lost in this is, in my opinion, a piece of worship which is called warfare. You see, growing up, I had an interest in soldiers, in special forces particularly, in nature of armed conflict. Uh, as a young boy, I would play G.I. Joes, uh, army soldiers, Star Wars figures, really anything that had that type of feel or theme. These all held of my interest. And I would often read about warriors like David's Honor Guard or the warriors like uh, Camelot or King Arthur, great myths of old. Also about history of World War II and our modern-day special forces. I've always been enamored by how men are willing to put themselves in harm's way for a greater cause. I've always looked up to the ideals of honor, of courage, and of bravery in the face of fear. Now, many of you might have had similar interests to me, or none at all. Maybe some of you played with Legos, or played with dolls, or had fun playing tag outside and enjoying nature. But regardless of this, I grew up with this interest, and I also began to learn about the nature of warfare and what it means to fight as I matured in my age. Of course, there's so many viewpoints of how conflicts start and how these things happen, and there is a reality and sadness of what sin has done to this world. Because war is absolutely a sad truth in this world. And I do not wish to glorify it in any way today. I know it is really horrible. However, warfare is sometimes needed in our broken state. So this morning, I want to talk about worship, warfare and how it relates to worship. Now, some of you might be, okay, you've, you've completely lost me. How do warriors and worship go together? How do swords and shields relate to pianos and guitars? They seem completely polar opposite. Well, there are actually a lot of similarities that would surprise you. So in order to find out how worship and warfare go together, we need to look through some biblical history. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 17, and you can follow along the screen behind me. So in Exodus 17, we read this. We read of an armed, uh, armed encounter that the Israelites have. Now, just as a quick side note, there are events that happen in the Old Testament that can, can be confusing to follow or uh, hard to understand. If you guys have any questions after the service, you can come and chat with me, and I'd love to have that conversation. So getting back to Exodus 17, we're going to start in verse 8, and this is what it reads. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commandment and fought the army of Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of the nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So we have a picture here of Moses worshiping and praying and interceding for the Israelites while they are at war, literally a worshiping in warfare. See, as Moses moves his hands and continues to worship in prayer and intercede, the Israelites win. As he lowers his hand, they start to lose. 
So we see the power of God work in the worship and intercession of Moses here. Now, the Israelites eventually win this battle, and then there's a key verse, and that's in verse 15, and that says this. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, or the Lord is my banner. Now, some of us would think about a banner and believe, oh, is he talking about like a parade banner, you know, the ones we hold uh, at the Calgary Stampede as a group passes, or some of us may think, you know, parade, uh, birthday banners, we have those little funny triangle shapes, so we're kind of waving them. They're none of those things. See, the image of God is my banner is actually one of a war banner. You see, banners were used as signals and rally points because in the thick of war, you can't see or communicate with your allies. In the midst of the, 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 the fighting and the smoke and the dust, it's very hard to see who and what is happening. And so they would have these banners on hills or in different divisions that would fly up in, uh, fly up in, in ancient warfare to signal to each other. You see, what Moses is saying here is that God is my war banner, the one we rally under and are strengthened by, whom we are commanded to fight and how to fight. That is what this Yahweh Nisi means. Now, there's so many instances like this throughout the Old Testament. We see events like the fall of Jericho or at the Battle of Ai, that God is the standard which Israel holds fast to. They worship him in warfare. So just like Israel, when we face enemies, we must run and rally behind our war banner, and that is our God. See, worship is warfare, and the Lord is your banner. Amen. Now, fast forward thousands of years, we see the establishment of the kingdom of Israel with many different prophets and kings. Some are really, really good, and some are horrible. Some worship God, some worship other gods and reject his promises completely. But there is one king who really ties in worship and warfare, and he brings it to another level. That is King David. You see, King David wrote a, lot, uh, wrote a lot of the Psalms. And in the Psalms, we read a lot of symbols and descriptions of warfare. For David, in fact, was a warrior. He held a sword. He knew what it was. He was in many battles. For instance, he writes in Psalms 144, verses 1 to 2, he says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. See, David begins to weave worship and warfare together. Against his physical enemies, he worships Yahweh. But another dimension starts to get added, and that is an internal warfare that he himself fights. You see, David also wrote about the, the, the uh, doubts, anxieties, and worries that he faced. In Psalms 27, verses 11, he says this, Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let them fall into their do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Amen, Amen right? He's fighting through those emotions and those fears, the physical reality of what he faced. See, David was human and knew how hard life was and is. As a soldier, he knew the realities of death and how quickly things can be taken from us. I can only imagine some of his uh, strong men and uh, men that he went to war with passing away and having to deal with grief of what that meant. And you know, that's such a, a piece of the Psalms that we can hold on to because so many of us can go to the Psalms and immediately find comfort and almost feel like some of those words were written by us because he felt what we all feel sometimes. 
Whether we wrestle with doubts and fears and anxieties, whether we have ran from physical enemies or felt like there are things that we are beyond our control that we can't change or shift. But David does one thing in this worship and warfare. He reminds himself of the promises of God, the covenant that God made, no matter what he feels, what he thinks, or he sees. Psalms 103 says this, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows, we are gone, as though we had never been here. Now, he could have just stopped there, and that would have been the reality of the situation, what he feels. But no, he goes on further. What does he say? Verse 17, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. See, there's always a yet, a but, and an and added in these Psalms as he fights back his emotions, his fears, and his worries. Why? Because God keeps his promises. David remembered the Ark of the Covenant, what was sworn to him and what God said he would do. Although David doubted, he fought to remember these promises. We've all been there. Doesn't matter how young or old, how mature or immature in our faith, we've all been tested with things seem to be going wrong and going down. There's an intense warfare that takes place within us Sometimes it's doubt, anger, helplessness, but we can go to the Psalms to fight back because there are reminders of who God is and his promises for you. Worship is warfare, and we need to fight to remember those promises. And now we arrive at the New Testament, our era. You see, Jesus who comes, and he doesn't come as a typical warrior with sword and shield, no, he changes the script, but he does come to establish his kingdom. See, where Israel fails to fully complete the commands God gave them, Jesus fulfills all of them. And so we read through the Gospels, the warfare between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of man or Satan and the kingdom of darkness. In the Gospels, we read things like in John 12, 31, Jesus takes on the prince of the world. There's a territorial fight. In 1 John uh, uh, 3, verse 8, he says, Jesus shows up to destroy the evil one. And in his ministering travels, Jesus also drove demons out and actively fought against these forces of darkness. Jesus gives power through the Holy Spirit to his disciples later on to preach the truth of the kingdom of God, and they begin the expansion of the kingdom. And in this expansion, Paul comes along and writes these words to the Ephesian church. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. If we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, no, we're fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul reminds all of us that we need to be strong and stand firm in this war. Because our enemies are not flesh and blood, but those principalities and dark forces that want to destroy and enslave you. These dark forces want to rob you of your joy, of your ability to uh, seek God. And he wants to lie about those promises of God, to lie to you and take everything that God has done for you. You see, to worship means to go to war because we are expanding the kingdom of God in all that we do from how we act in our families, how we model our lives, when we go to work, 
It's all tied to this unseen world that so many fail and doubt to understand in our culture today. You see, we as a church are still part of that expansion of the kingdom. That means you have an enemy that wants to stop you, and that's why whenever you choose to worship, it is a warfare. You have to fight the enemy who throws negativity. You have a sin nature that wants to lead you away from the truth of God. And that's why we have to be aware and alert, because our enemy looks to devour us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. He prowls, around looking, uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, he's letting us know of the intent on the enemy's side. He's actively looking for weakness. He's actively looking how to destroy and manipulate and, dis- and, and just kill. So we don't get an excuse from this warfare. It's not like any of this uh, excuse can, can come upon us. No, that's why Paul encourages us to what? Be strong. Because there are days that are tough, days that feel like we can't do anything from trying to catch up with bills, issue in our marriages maybe, in friendships, or just not knowing what to do in our futures in the economic climate that we're faced with. We're daily bombarded with negativity in the news or in circumstances that are beyond our control, and it leaves us feeling like we are stuck in a grinder, unable to move. It can paralyze us as if a swarm of enemies was unleashed day after day and surrounding us with no way out. But we are told as his church, as his warriors, to stand firm and what? Not be afraid, but be alert, right? Eyes open, ears open, aware. We need to be aware to the things that are going around us in the spiritual realm, just like soldiers in a battlefield being aware of their, spirit, their state. In the spiritual level, we have to have our ears and eyes open and alert. Worship is warfare. We need to stand, and we need to be alert. This past November, I learned how some of these three points related. I was able to go out onto a beautiful hike near Sundry, Alberta, and I was there with uh, my, my brother and some friends. And during this hike, there was a point in the journey where we decided to split off. I was walking through a, a trail, and uh, we kind of had a, a map, and we decided, you know what? There is a road that connects down this trail. Why don't we uh, split up? We'll meet you down there. I was like, sounds good. I'll go alone. You guys go ahead, and I'll catch up. So as I'm going down this trail, life is good, right? I'm looking at the trees. It's quiet. It's a beautiful nature walk. I'm enjoying God's, God's creation. And I see down this trail the, the road, which, which appears to be clearing out of this trail. And so I keep going down, and the trail starts to get a little harder, I was wearing a heavy bag, and so I continued through some deep snow, and I got to this area, which turned out to be a little creek, which I thought was actually going to be the road. No, it ended up being a big ravine, and it was quite difficult to get in there. I actually fell a couple of times because of the ice as I went further in. And as I looked, I kind of uh, had my radio, and I radioed back, and I said, hey, like, where are you guys? And we kind of tried to figure out a way to triangulate where I was. My GPS had died, so I had no idea. And it turned out like, yeah, I was way off course. This, this trail did not lead to the road I thought would take like a 15-minute walk. It was a ravine that disappeared into a bunch of bush out in the wilderness, and there I am alone. And of course, being alone in the woods, your mind starts playing things on you, right? And I started getting afraid. I started physically feeling a little shaky, and, and I started like thinking, this is a ravine. I mean, there's a perfect place for a big creature. You know, it could be a cougar or a bear. And, I started just feeling tense and, and, and uptight. And as I struggled through this moment, I started to worship God. And it kind of surprised me, honestly, because 
in the midst of my mind, practically speaking, I'm like, that's not going to get me out of the situation I'm in. Like, like that's great. Let's sing to the trees. That's fantastic. But, and, and I'm almost kind of stunned myself because I just started worshiping in the wild. It was super bizarre. And then I started to sing Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And then words started coming out. Worship, just worship of Christ. And so I looked back to the, the way I had taken, and obviously in that moment I kind of readjusted. I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, yes, it was heavy. It was a very hard trek through, but I can do this. So I turned back and I went, I went the other way, and I worshiped my way back. Eventually walked through it all. You see, that day I had to do three things. I had to rally to God under my banner. I had to remember his promises. I had to sing them to remind me, it's going to be all right. God's got this. And then I was alert, and I stood firm. I didn't decide to just lay there and give up. I didn't decide to allow fear to take me and cause me to freak out and do the, the things you know, that, that we can all do in the midst of, of a, a crisis like that. No. The Spirit of God came upon me, and I was able to finally focus on what matters. And friends, your journeys may not lead you out to the woods in the middle of nowhere, but there are times where we feel exactly that. There are times where you might be stricken with grief because of a loss of something. There are times where you don't know how to pay the next bill. There are times when there's conflict in our families, or you don't even know who God is, and you, you read of these promises, but you don't feel like they, they, they are true. I want to encourage us today as a body, as a church family, that God does keep his promises. He is good. And despite what you feel, think, or experience, he can be trusted. All we need to do is rally under his banner. All we need to do is believe in his promises. And all we need to do is stand firm and be alert. <laughs>